13 through 21, is the passage we want to look at this morning. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we could find a place to live where there would be no pressure, no stress, no worry? A place where there's no temptation, no suffering, no failure of any kind. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, such a place does not exist. And and besides that, God wants us to learn how to stand strong in our faith and be full of hope right where we live, right where we work, right where we go to school, right where God has planted us. We cannot escape and fly away, although we'd like to do that on a regular basis. But Peter has a better suggestion anyway. He writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. We'll stop there. Reading these statements, we can't help but catch something of Peter's uh, rather assertive personality. I mean, he, he seems to be saying this is no time to kick back. This is no time to relax spiritually and let your guard down. This is not the time to be casual about your walk with God or your life in Christ. In fact, you can almost see Peter bearing down on his quill pen as he writes some of these strong phrases, forceful phrases they are. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace of God. And as he presses his pen to the parchment. Come on, folks, get serious, he says. Straighten up. (laughs) And then this clincher command from God, be holy, because I am holy. Well, how do do we live in a life, uh, 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 in a a world that's so full of stress and so full of pressure every day and and full of pain and disappointment? How How do we cope with that? How do we live a life that's full of hope? The title of our series from 1 Peter. How do we live a life that's full of hope in a world that's so full of problems? Peter makes several suggestions. First of all, live in holiness, he says. Back to verse 13 again. Prepare your minds for action. 
Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Wow. It's quiet in here. (laughs) Those are sobering words, aren't they? It's easy. It's so easy to let the world intoxicate us and pollute us and suck us into their way of thinking and, and their system of belief and behavior. But at the very same time, God is saying to us, you need to be holy because I'm holy. And you're my people. So you need to be like me. You need to be holy people. God's word compels us to be holy. Holiness in some circles is associated with very pious-looking people who quite honestly look like they're quite out of touch with the modern world. Holiness in some circles consists of a, a list of rules and regulations, right? Do's and don'ts. Holiness to some means uh, no smoking, no drinking, no chewing, no going with girls who do. You know, no movies, no rock music, no computer games, no fun. And if you, if you follow those rules, then you're a holy person. Holiness in other circles means having no electricity and no television and no chrome on your bumpers. Is that really what God meant when he said, be holy? Live according to this list of rules and regulations. Be able to check them off every day, every night before you go to bed. And if you can check them all off, you're holy. Is that really what he means? Oh, please, somebody tell me that it means more than that. Much, much more than that. Or I'm done. (laughs) Thank you, Fred. It does mean much more than that. Strip down to the very basic definition of holy, the term holy means simply set apart. Set apart for some special reason, some special purpose. So, in holy matrimony, for example, a man and woman are set apart for each other exclusively for one another. Holy matrimony. In the Bible, uh, the sacrifices that were set apart for God were called holy. In the Old Testament temple and in the tabernacle, the utensils, the things that they used in the worship of God were considered holy. They were set apart and they were used only, only for that purpose. They had a very special designated purpose for which they could be used. And the word Holy carries with it the whole idea of separation. And so people who are holy are supposed to be separated from a life of sin. They're supposed to be disconnected from from gossip and dishonesty and and falsehood and that, that whole lifestyle. They're supposed to be separated from ungodly and anti-Christian philosophies and 
and, and, and ways of thinking. A man who's striving to be holy uh, should be separated from conning his customers or deceiving his employer or cheating on his wife. So, so holiness has some very, very practical aspects to it. And it has nothing to do with where, whether I wear my hair up in a bun or whether I have chrome on my bumper or not. It has nothing to do with that. Be holy in all you do. In all the events of your life, every hour, every minute, all the time, be holy. Be separated. And because this idea of holiness is not, not merely, it doesn't merely mean being separated from sin. It also means being separated to God. Remember last week? What are we saved for and what are we saved from? Well, what are we separated from and what are we separated to? We're supposed to be separated from sin so that we can be separated to God. I was watching figure skating yesterday. So, but but how, how do I do that? Practically speaking, how do, I, how do I get separated every day? How do I live a separated life? Well, that's a, I, mean, I think that's a whole sermon in and of itself. But let me say that I try to begin every morning like this. Lord Jesus, today I set apart my mind for you. So, so, so help me not to think about or dwell on those things which will be eventually displeasing to you. Uh, Lord, I, I set apart my, my eyes for you today. Don't let me linger on those images or those things which I know will lead me astray. Lord, I, I set apart my ears for you today. Don't let me listen to any music or any gossip or any... any uh, off-color jokes at work. Well, not my work, because I work here, so hopefully there's no off-color jokes, but you know what I'm saying. Are you with me? Yes. So, so, Lord, just let, let my ears be, be set apart for you. Um, I set apart my motives for you. I set apart my passions for you today. May every, every limb of my body, a living sacrifice, right? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let, let every limb of my body and every crevice of my mind, what's left of it, be set apart for you. And I, I'm telling you folks, when, when we start the day out like that, chances are really good that temptation is, is not going to be so alluring and the suffering that I experience is not going to be so overwhelming because my whole life and my body will be separated to God hopefully separated from sin and separated to God. Does that make sense? Okay. Live in holiness. What else is involved in living for God in the midst of all the pain and all the problems of life? Peter goes on to say, walk in fear. Walk in fear. Verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. So another aspect to living a hope-filled life involves the way in which we conduct ourselves from day to day. And Peter suggests that we should live our lives here on this planet uh, as foreigners 
in reverent fear. I mean, we're, we're just passing through, right? This is not our home. We're, we're aliens. We're strangers in this world. We're, we're foreigners, so to speak, because our citizenship is in heaven. That's where, we, that's where we're headed. That's where we ultimately belong. doesn't say that on my passport, but it should. Where are you from? Well, I'm from Windsor, but I'm going to heaven. <laughs> I don't suggest you try that. I think they'll have, you, they'll have you over in the secondary inspection before you can even put your car in gear. But it's true. Amen? It's true. I live in Windsor, but my citizenship is in heaven. And the point of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 is, if we're going to address God as Father, and, and we are, then we should conduct ourselves uh, in a manner here that reflects our reverence of Him as our Father, but let's not forget that He's also judge, Okay? He's not only the loving Father that we've come to adore and respect and honor and worship. He's also the judge of all the earth. And one day he will do what's right. We know that God loves us, that he cares about us. He stands ready to shoulder even the heaviest burden that we, that we cast upon him. And, and he delights in our fellowship. He loves to spend time with us. But he's also the Father who will judge every man's work and every woman's work on the last day. And so we, we walk in humble and reverent awe and fear and reverence of God. Which is the condition, really, of all true understanding of life. The Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 1.7. And Psalm 111. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Don't be afraid of the one who can only destroy the body. Scripture tells us. Fear the one who can, who can condemn both the body and the soul. According to the Bible, those who have believed in Christ, that's most of us here today, and uh, follow Christ, will one day have their lives evaluated by God. You know, the books are going to be open one of these days. And we're going to have to give an account to God for what we did with our time and our energy and our talents and our gifts. What have we done with our finances to advance the kingdom? We're going to have to answer for all of that. Christians will be judged on the basis of their faithfulness in service and their witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul wrote in Romans 14. He said, each of us, each of us will give an account of himself to God. That thought alone, that verse alone is enough to strike the fear of God into my heart. So live in holiness and walk in fear. And thirdly, focus your mind. 1 Peter 1, verse 18. Actually, 17 will start there. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, he says. And then verse 18 knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. 
He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So, I would say that the reason for the call to walk in fear, in verse 17, the reason for that is given in verses 18 and 19. Believers are ransomed by the precious blood of Jesus. And for that reason, we ought to walk in fear before God. God the Father paid a very, very heavy price so that we could be free of our sins and all the garbage and pollution of our souls. We were ransomed from a futile way of life. A life of sin, a life of vanity, a life of self-centeredness, a, a life of selfishness. We were saved from that. Not with perishable things like silver and gold or pesos and dollars. You, 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 you can't buy salvation. We weren't redeemed with anything that costs money, but rather... Our salvation comes only through the precious, priceless blood of Jesus. My ESV Bible, my study Bible says, the sacrifice of Jesus breaks the inevitability and the power of generational sin. The idea that the sins of parents and grandparents are visited in later generations. And they always are. Because it's a biblical concept. The sins of the fathers will be visited on the third and fourth generations. Every time. Unless the cycle is broken by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Then it's broken. The blood of Jesus breaks the power of generational sin. Hallelujah! See, the, the, the empty way of... I was handed an empty way of life by my ancestors. Both my father and my grandfather lived lives of utter debauchery and drunkenness and adultery and divorce and hypocrisy and idolatry. They lived that life. My father and my grandfather, maybe my great-grandfather, I don't know. I didn't ever know them, and nobody ever talked about them. But that's the empty way of life that was handed down to me. And until May 26, 1976, I was walking in that empty way of life. But Jesus Christ, by His precious blood, redeemed me, he ransomed me, he bought me back, he gave me a new song, he gave me a new heart, he gave me a new life, and I was born again by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and here I stand today to declare to you that everybody continues to walk in a futile way of life, an empty way of life, until they're ransomed by the precious blood of Jesus. Everybody. And so... We need to, I, I just want to urge you to focus your mind on that, on the effects of the precious blood of the Lamb. Focus your mind on the power of God through the Holy Spirit. Focus your mind 
on the precious blood of Jesus and all that comes to us through the blood of the Lamb. It's really quite amazing. I mean, when we lived in Chicago uh, years ago when I was pursuing my degree at seminary, Patty and I toured one of the great museums of the city of Chicago with some friends. I mean, none of us were art critics. Far from it. I was a kid from the prairies, you know, moved to the big city. And, and here we were going through this magnificent museum of art. We enjoyed walking through the halls, though, and stopping at various exhibits. In one of the wide corridors, there was a showcase uh, displayed prominently in this great big hall. But fairly close to the showcase was a, a security guard, an armed security guard. And uh, he watched us very carefully as we walked up to the showcase. <laughs> I looked in, and all I saw was an old vase, or vase, depending on where you come from. It didn't look like much to me at all, just a piece of pottery. And so as we stood there pretending like we knew what we were looking at, I walked over to the garden and said, hey, what, what is this? Anyway, and his face just lit up like a light bulb, and he was so excited, he started explaining to me in all the technical jargon of what this was and where it was found and who it was found by and how old it was. And I guess the lifeless expression on my face conceded the fact that I had no idea what he was talking about, and I certainly wasn't entering into his joy. So finally, out of exasperation, he said to me, don't you understand? This vase is worth over half a million dollars. That I understood. <laughs> so now I can understand the, the enclosed showcase, the built-in humidifier, the, the special lighting and the, 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 the uniformed watchdog standing nearby. I could understand it cost over half a million dollars for this piece of clay in the showcase. What price tag could we possibly place on the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's priceless. It's precious. We would give anything and everything for the blood of Jesus. He chose us, He redeemed us, and saved us at great cost. 1 Peter 1.18 says, You know Brothers and sisters, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but you were rather redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So focus your minds on that fact. Focus your mind on the truth and that should fill you with hope. Regardless of what stuff you're dealing with here on planet Earth, focus your mind on the truth of Scripture. Colossians 3 urges us to set our minds on things above and not the things that are on earth. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. No better place to be. Let's pray together. And so, Father, 
We thank you this morning. We thank you that you you redeemed us from an empty way of life handed down to us by our forefathers. And if not our fathers or grandfathers, maybe it goes back generations, I don't know. But I do know that the precious blood of Jesus saved us, redeemed us, purchased us back from a life of sin. And we're oh so grateful to you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.